0: Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast, a member of the Edify Podcast Network and the Charisma Podcast Network. This is the first episode of 2021. Can you believe it? We made it through 2020. And I hope you had a great holiday season. It was definitely different for me, but we made it through and God is still good. And the first news alert of 2021 is that Jesus is still king. And I'm expectant for what God has in this new year. I know it's not going to be a year free of hardship but I know that it's going to be a year where God moves in a mighty way because people are on fire in a new level, a new level I've seen in my life and the lives of those around me. God is redeeming his church. He's building his remnant. The remnant is stronger than the multitude, and God will use the remnant to show his power and to move in power in this world, even amidst hardship. So as you focus on keeping your eyes on Jesus this year, I want to make sure you know about my devotional, my 14-day free devotional to you called Eyes on Jesus. You can get it in the show notes or go to eyesonjesusdevotional.com. I would love to bless you with that and use it for your devotional time this new year. And for today, I'm excited to talk to the director and the producer for the Christian movie Faith Under Fire with Kevin Sorbo and Dean Kane. I'm excited to talk to a director and a producer. It's the first time I've been able to do that. Hopefully not the last. I would definitely recommend this movie. You know, I would pause this, check out the trailer so you at least know a little bit about what the movie is if you haven't seen it yet, and then come back, listen to this episode, and then go see the movie later. Also, because this episode is with talking with two people, you might want to check it out on YouTube so you can kind of see who's talking and kind of piece together the voices. So you can go to my YouTube channel and check it out there or keep listening on here as well. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Well, Welcome to the Everyday
0: Discernment Podcast. I have a special episode for you today. I am joined from the movie Faith Under Fire. I have the director with me and the producer. So the director is Joe Paul Reisig and the producer Greg Morrison. And the movie is Faith Under Fire, starring Dean Kane, Kevin Sorbo, and Nick Vlassopoulos. So welcome to the show, guys. How are you?
2: Great. Hey, thank, thank you for you having us, us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I I, like I told you before we started, I just saw the movie yesterday and I thought it was, you know, captured my attention the entire time. I stayed up late and watched it and a you know, very powerful movie. And it's a movie also that I didn't know existed. And I think in this, you know, culture of movies kind of in 2020, you know, people's radar is really off on what's coming out. And it's probably really hard to market right now. And so I'm excited for the opportunity to to watch it and also to have you on the show and talk about it to hopefully get other people's radar aligned to that this movie exists
2: well we appreciate you having us on the show for that very reason and yeah i good morning thank you for having us tim
0: so just tell everyone real quick about yourselves kind of your history with uh you know getting into movies and kind of how this project started uh yeah i i um I,
3: I was just telling this to somebody else, you know, when I was a kid, I was, uh, I was first, I did, was an actor. And then I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm that good at this, but maybe I can be a director and you know, then you get older and you have to get a real job. And, uh, I began life and everything. And, and in my late twenties, I started to say, Hey, why am I not doing this thing that I love? And, uh, really by the grace of God, I was started, I went and bought a very expensive camera and I began carrying it around at church. So I was probably this weirdo, this video camera. And at this singles group, this guy comes up to me, uh, another, you know, it was after church, and he's like, Oh, I you have those such and such model. I have a, I have this model. And we started talking and we said, Why don't we start making videos for church? And so we started making you know, silly, stupid things at first, and then uh we said, he said, I've always wanted to do the screw tape letters, so we made a, 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 a short film, an adaptation of The Screw Tape Letters. And from there, we just began making more and more short films outside of church. But we were all Christians. Uh, that's how I met the other producer, Melissa, who uh, spearheaded Faith Under Fire. And we had worked together for years, and then we had gone our separate ways. And she called me back and said, I want you to meet this fellow, Joel. He a, has a number of movies under his belt. We're making a feature film. It's going to have Dean Kane in it. And, it's going, be, and uh, it's going to be faith-based. And she brought me in. And that's how I f- first met Joel in the very early stages of pre-production on this movie.
0: Cool. Joel, how about you? How did you get started in film? Well,
2: I sort of uh, fell backwards into it, to tell you the truth. Right after college, I went to Chicago, as everybody from Michigan is required by law to do. And I lived in downtown Chicago for about two years working as a stand-up comedian. And buddies of mine would constantly watch these movies that they didn't find to be all that funny and asked me if I, you know, was ever gonna write something, if I was ever gonna write a movie. And eventually, eventually I did. And I, I literally taught myself this business by reading the idiot's guide to producing, or it may have been producing for dummies, one of those <laughs> two. And then getting out there and doing it. And of course, not all of my early movies are brilliant. And I still have plenty of improvements to make, but I feel like I get better and better every single time. But I'm I'm completely autodidact in this business. And I've now worked with Dean Kane probably 10 times, Kevin Sorbel, wow. three, four times, and a, and a lot of other actors that you would know, Christy Swanson and Richard Carm from Home Improvement and et cetera. And I started doing a lot of movies that the market really liked and that I was very comfortable doing. Uh, For example, Horse Camp, which is a movie about girls going to camp for the summer, horses, and they learn lessons about friendship and kindness and sharing and et cetera. And then Melissa Curley came to me and asked me if I would help produce a movie with her, a Christian movie. And we went over the story. I was, I was very comfortable with it. I liked her. I liked Greg, the entire team. I thought that this would be a great synergy and it has been. So I'm, I'm very thankful to have done this uh, this wonderful movie with this team and looking forward to the next one.
0: Awesome. That's cool. And thanks for sharing some of your other projects so people can kind of gauge where they've heard you from or where they've seen some of your work. So that's cool. So before we go into the movie, I just want to ask my the question I ask all my guests is the time you had Godly Discernment, since this is the Everyday Discernment podcast. And so in the interest of time, I'll go to you, Greg. So just tell us about a time you've had Godly Discernment in your life and kind of what that looked like.
3: So let me ask you something, Tim, because I'm always fascinated by this term discernment, yeah. because I see um uh, in... First Corinthians 12, it talks about discerning of spirits. Right. And I, I hear people talk all the time, well, I have the gift of discernment. And I'm not sure, I want, I'm want. i curious, since you've made this podcast your own, yeah. do you see that thing talked about in First Corinthians chapter 12, discerning of spirits, to mean what you're making this podcast about? Or do you have this sort of uh, larger perspective on discernment, just making decisions.
0: That's a great question. And in Corinthians, it talks about it as being a spiritual gift of discerning spirits and discerning right from wrong, good from evil, and also in the spiritual aspect of things, discerning the demonic or satanic things. But what I focus on more is decision-making at a base level, having discernment in decisions. And how I define that is having discernment through the knowledge of the Bible the Holy Spirit within you that can prompt you for a decision, and also through godly relationships that can spur you on and give you kind of the path to go on. And so I talk in my book, Everyday Discernment, about having decision-making ability in all aspects of our life, whether it's through finances, parenting, relationships, in how we use our time, in discerning sin in our life, in discerning counterfeits that are in the church, all these aspects that kind of is a big umbrella for discernment in making better decisions that honor God.
3: I, I really appreciate that. and I love how you 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 put that out. Um, I would even say, I'm and I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but maybe this is hopefully an an interesting answer. You know, I know that I myself, I'm a real thinker. Um, and I'm the type that, you know, draws the line down the piece of paper and when i when it's time to make a decision, I'll write out pros, I'll write out cons. yeah, and that's how I do it. And um I have had to learn. I remember I was about thirty. And I was actually with a counselor and I was working through problems in my life. And I sort of had to learn to listen to my heart Mm -hmm. and at the same time, listening to my heart, listening to that still small voice of God, because I'm so logical or I'm so dependent upon my thinking side. uh, That's not, and it's, you know, well, this is the, obviously the right decision (laughs) because the pros outweigh the cons, um, so I will say right around that time, I had been offered a job. I'm, I'm in sales. I'm an independent contractor with a cert, with a, a yearbook publisher, and I've been offered a management job. And uh, so, there was all the pros were there, but something just didn't sit right with me. And so I didn't take the job. Um, and I feel like, I mean, you know, you, you never know for sure, but really- yeah. I look back on my life and I'm much, I feel like I'm much happier having Mm. stayed where I was. Um, So that's one of those things where I say to myself, it must've been the still small voice of God sort of speaking to me. And, and even he knew I was going through that in my life, sort of teaching me, this is a time where you don't, you throw out the pros and cons list and you follow this, this little voice.
0: Yeah. That's really good. And a lot of times peace follows decisions that are from God, where it might seem like the best decision according to the world or other people, but we don't have peace about it. And a lot of times God and the Holy Spirit gives us that peace when in the face of, well, it's the logical choice. Well, it may not be the best choice for you. And God knows that. And then in hindsight, we're often able to see that, oh man, I'm really glad that God steered me away from that. So great. Thank you for sharing, Greg. So Joel, how would, let's go back to the movie now. So Faith Under Fire, how would you pitch this in an elevator to someone real quick?
2: Absolutely. I would pitch it as a Hollywood looking firefighter movie with a fantastic message of hope, redemption, and to uh, to never, never, ever give up. That is a... A good film to all people. You know, I need to work on that elevator pitch. I said, um, way too many times. It was, it was a very good question. But now that the movie is made, Tim, I'm yeah. not pitching the movie anymore.
0: True.
2: I should have, if I were going to uh, AFM, American Film Market, or to Christian Worldview, I would have that elevator pitch down pat. I would have memorized it 20 times in the car before getting there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a Hollywood-looking film with Hollywood talent and a great message.
0: Awesome. I like that. And it's available everywhere, right? All digital platforms, right?
2: It is available everywhere. It is also, I believe, still playing in a couple of movie theaters. We were originally slated to go to about 75 theaters, but with COVID shutdown, that got shrunk to 16 theaters. And then obviously... A few people went to the theaters, but our, our numbers in theaters were much, much smaller than they would have been in a 2019 environment. Yeah. But now, you know, that's okay. The most important thing is everybody on the team is healthy and the movie is available to be seen really everywhere.
0: Awesome. So talk about the production of this movie. How, when did it, what year was it produced in or, you know, made and, and what was that process like working with all these great actors?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, if I were ever on a witness stand and you were to ask me about certain dates, everyone in court would think I was lying, even if I'm t- trying to tell you the truth. Greg, do you remember the precise time that we made the movie? I think it's been a year and a half. I was which just is- going to
3: say, it was, was, it was March and May of 2018, and then we shot our scenes with Kevin around Labor Day of 2018, right? So okay. I <laughs> believe I believe you and I were working on the script when I when I came in. I think that might have been uh, winter, fall of 2017 when I came in.
2: Perfect. So it takes a little while to uh, go all the way from conception to, to market. It really does. This is a long process. The second part of your question, Tim, I believe, was what was it like working with Kevin and Dean? So with Dean, Dean and I have worked together, I think, about 10 times and I believe this was my third time working with Kevin. So I know both of those guys quite well. But even the very, very first time that I ever worked with Dean Kane, I, I sent a buddy of mine to pick him up at the airport. And I remember the two of them came walking into set and they were just yelling at each other. And I said, oh, wow, what's uh, what's going on? And what was happening was, Scott was telling Dean that he doesn't know anything about professional football and he has no idea what the nickel defense is for. And Dean was saying, Scott, I played professional football. So honestly, working with Dean from the moment that I met him was it really felt like I was just reunited with a friend that I hadn't seen in about 10 years. That's the type of person that both Dean and Kevin are. They walk in and you feel like you're with one of your college buddies and picking up right where you left off they're they're humble, they have no star attitude, none of the nonsense that you see from so many of the Hollywood type celebrities. They're just a couple of normal guys that happen to achieve a level of fame, and now they're they're using it and making good movies
3: uh, and i I'm gonna jump in there real quick and and Joel had the the privilege of directing them. um they're also you can see you know we work with lots and lots of actors, and we have some wonderful actors in michigan and you saw nick um he gave a tremendous performance and yeah. it was a really not not an easy role yeah. but i you know we had kevin and dean come in and they you could see why they are stars they hit their lines they they could just step right in and their line delivery if we changed the line they got it right away and they were they were really good uh, i sorry i just wanted to jump in and say that joel
0: no that's great that's great and I was going to say too, that I totally agree. Nick was kind of the center point of the movie. It was his story and he did such a great job with the ups and downs and kind of his struggle through uh, just a, a terrible, a terrible situation that he was in and, and kind of how faith played a role in that. And also, you know, coming to grips with suffering and, and how, you know, we all go through it and, and what that does to your faith and, and how you ask all these questions that you may not get an answer to. And I was thinking too. You know, you made this two years ago, and it's such an appropriate movie for 2020 and and, and beyond. Now, as people are listening to this in the new year, and um, you know that people have gone through suffering, maybe more than they ever have in their life in, in a year like 2020, when when there's no respecter of persons in in a pandemic, and and kind of how it, you have to come to grips with with life and how everything is not going to be sunshine and roses even for Christians and Christianity does not protect you from everything that might go wrong in life. And, but you do have that hope of, of eternity and you do have a God who comforts. So can you share a little bit about kind of your thoughts on that and how people can take away that theme? So, um, I'd like to step in on that
3: for me. And I mentioned some of this earlier about, Oh, in my early twenties, uh, when we began to write it and to, to write, to deal with those lines about and not just those lines starting with the theme and how are we going to set up these scenes about where is god in the tragedy and what do i do with it i drew drew on my own personal experience when i uh when i got very when i was very young 21 22 i got married to a good christian girl and we were um you know and our marriage was uh, you know we had our issues we were very young and um In our late twenties, she just decided she was done, and I was. uh, She's done, and she left, and there was that was it. There was nothing I could do about it, and I was uh, destroyed, broken, Uh, and it really. I don't want to say it. it, Yeah, I don't want to say it shook my faith, but I had to go back and parse out everything and say what you know something that I had done, something in this church that I had been raised didn't work. Um, but I also knew that there was a God, like I had experienced the goodness of God. I had experienced the supernatural and I, and I said, okay, well, I, even if I don't know if the Bible is true, the words in the sermon on the Mount are true. And I started with that. And I was like, what can I put back together, uh, as I rebuild my faith? And as I did this, I mean, I was just broken. I was, because I grew up in that sort of thing where, you know, you don't get divorced, yeah. Um, and I had to like rebuild my theology and everything. And this is not the same thing. Losing a spouse, I think, is actually uh, probably more traumatic than what I went to. But for me, it was a real trauma. And so I found myself putting in the lines of, of Pastor Dan, Dean, the things that I had learned about, you know, I was one of the lines that he says near the end of the movie is, you know, when we experience a tragedy, we are always asking why, why God, why did you do this to me? And when I could get past that and start asking God, what do you want me to do with this? Like it set, it didn't just set me free. I mean, I think when you bear somebody else's burdens, you can actually process your own pain and your own grief. And, you know, there's a time when you're just low and you can't even do that, but I've seen it with other people you know, when you can, if you can help somebody else, it helps you. Uh, and that's one of the the messages that we, we put into the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was told you were the resident theologian. Is that true? <laughs>
3: I mean, I'm laughing now. I appreciate, I think I threw that line out there once we were talking about our different roles and I was like, kind of flippantly said, I'm the theologian. I, I am not a um, trained theologian. I, yeah. I love to study God's word. Uh, and I, you know, uh, uh, Joel used the uh, term autodidact. I would say I am also an autodidact, (laughs) but I love reading theology books and things like that. So I think that's what, you know, uh, Melissa is a, everyone had their different roles. And uh, a lot of times, even with Melissa, she is awesome. And she was, she's like a driver, but she couldn't put into words. Uh, And that's one of the reasons she brought me in is to actually sort of put, in the lines of dialogue. And I don't want to take credit for this. Let me even step back. I didn't write this script. Joel wrote this script with Gary Allison, who Gary was the, um, wrote the novel. And they, Joel wrote the script, uh, co-wrote the script with him. And it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. I was brought in for four or five scenes to sort of punch up the theology. So yeah. And that, in that sense, I was the theologian, but I'm I make no-
2: Greg's being too humble. It was very <laughs> much a uh, synergy. I, I appreciate him wanting to say that, but the entire team contributed to this.
0: Awesome. I was going to ask you at the end, if you want to talk about, there's an In Memoriam uh, dedicated the movie to, to two people, I believe. Do you want to talk about who those people were and, and how they were related to the movie at all?
2: Do you how well do you know this, Greg? Because those are both Melissa's relatives.
3: Yeah, I thought, I, I thought it was Melissa's sister. Uh, so Melissa's yes. sister died of cancer. Mm. And um, because, you know, that's what the movie is about. Yeah, suffer, Suffering with cancer. Yeah. Um, you know, we raised uh, a portion of our proceeds, went to, I don't know which cancer research. Melanoa. Melanoia,
2: Melanoia okay. research. Mm.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, do you have more information than I have, Joel, on that?
2: I, I have given you, this is really a Melissa question, unfortunately, who is the one member of the team that we don't have with us today, but she, she is handling all that. But it, it went to Melanoa Research, uh, we'll, we'll stick with that the gen, yeah. in general, and it's a, a cancer charity, of course, and all three of us were very proud and very happy to be able to do what we can to help.
0: are going through something like this now, like that have a a question of faith that have a feeling of hopelessness, regardless of, of Christianity or not, what would you just encourage them with if they've been through a tough year, if they've had tragic loss, if they're just feeling like there's nowhere to turn just either through what you've been in your own life or just kind of the, the kind of where this movie is pointing people to find that support.
2: Well, you know, this is I'm going to preface this by telling the audience that this is a spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you want to, I would I would hit pause. You know, the I think the message is that you can find good in bad situations and you take a look first at Dean Kane's character. And when we initially meet him, we think of him as somebody who is in theory only. He's a, a preacher, a minister, a theologian, and here he is giving advice, and what does he know about it? But halfway through the movie, we find out that he he used to be an executive over at Ford, and he had an accident. It just happened. A car jumped over the center line, and he lost his wife and his uh, two boys. And he he suffered, and he decided instead of Instead of going into depression, despair, into a bottle, that he wanted to bring good into other people's lives. And as he's telling this story to Tom, we also see at the end of the movie where Tom's daughter has written him one final letter. And she has reminded her father that he's a good person and he's trained in medicine and he's a firefighter and he can help so many people. So it's not easy. And just like the earlier version of Dean Kane's character, in all honesty, what do I know about it? You know, I have not suffered in, in that way and I really hope that I never do, but the message is that you can find good in bad situations. And there is always, there is always a way to help yourself and to help other people.
3: Uh, and, and I would add to that, um, you know, so I'm going to be uh, again, drawing from my own experience, what I took great comfort in when I was dealing with my own difficulties, uh, was that we serve a God who is not just sovereign and supreme and powerful, but we serve a God who suffered and he is acquainted with our sorrows and he knows our griefs. And it says that in Isaiah. And I, we actually put that in the movie. Um, you know there are some comparative religions and things like this that other where God is. That's what God is. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He would never be weak. Uh, and we serve a God who intimately made Himself weak, uh, made Himself suffer, suffer terribly, and He understands pain. And uh, I think there's uh, there's something very comforting. When you're going through pain, when even another human being is able to say, "I've been there, I know that," and when you're able to to know that the God of the universe is able to say, "I've been there, I've known that pain," it's there's a there's a lot of comfort in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the movie, you talked uh, or you quoted John sixteen thirty three, which is you know in this life you will have suffering, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And that was just a powerful verse to end on because. Too often, you know, there are there are Christian uh, denominations that will say that you know the Christian life is you'll never suffer and God is always going to you know take care of your problems and make you rich and and there's this hyper hyper realized movement out there in Christianity where it gets people the wrong idea when they join you know they accept Jesus and they think like okay my life's going to be great now and there's such a deeper level that can be lost when you just think about it in terms of health and money. And, you know, as Christians, we do believe God can intervene. I believe God's still a God of miracles today. That's not what we base our faith on. Our faith is in Jesus who who came and died and rose again and who we have a hope of eternity. And you look at all the martyrs in the world. You look at how people are still getting killed for their faith. And you have to think of, okay, my, my belief in Christianity has to apply to all cultures and all countries and not just America. There is no such thing as American Christianity. And if you look at Christianity in the big world scheme of things, it is very much a suffering religion. And, you know, it is, I think, a disservice to people when we think of American Christianity as just, you know, I can just pray for it and receive it. And and prayer is very important. And God loves to give things to his children. And he loves to bless us with, with things above and beyond just health and money. And there's a peace and a comfort that comes from God when we go through things that is, I would say supernatural, because, you know, it is that peace that passes all understanding that we're promised in the Bible. Any comments on that, Greg?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right, Tim. I, um, and I even want to say, you know, I, I also have experienced and I believe, and I will speak, uh, loudly that, uh, I have victory in Jesus, uh, you know, and, and I, I believe that old him and I have, I have seen him intervene mm-hmm. in my life. Um, but that is not all there is to it. And you're absolutely right. I mean, when you talk about martyrs, when you look around the world at people suffering, and I think that's really what, uh, the verse from John, you know, take heart, uh, for I have overcome the world. That is talking about that, that there, we will experience persecution and it could be persecution unto death. Um, But, uh, you know, and we are not, we're not going to experience earthly victory. But even, you know, I I was just talking about this with my mom. When you look at the life of Paul, um, for him to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he hit that point. He was having miraculous things. By the time he gets to Ephesus in the book of Acts, you know, people are touching anyone. They're taking his aprons out and it's healing people. Hmm. And he's sort of at the peak of the power of his ministry. And then he's like, okay, now I'm going to Jerusalem and they get the prophecies. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be let off in chains. And he's like, that's where I want to go.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, and, and I don't even, I don't, I don't pretend to even understand that. I, me personally. No, I want, I I want the victory all the time, Yeah, but there are times and, and obviously Paul was called to it and we're going to all, uh, if you live long enough, you will experience tragedy, suffering, pain. Um, and, you, I believe that Christianity and the the the, the life and the spirit. Um, if you're if you're if you're in it and living it, it will prepare you for it. You just need to be. Uh, I mean that that is part and parcel with our faith.
0: Yeah, I think one of the best, uh, and I'm going to totally butcher where it's at in Acts, but it's in the middle of Acts, and it's it's the verse where Paul gets released from prison because he prayed and you know, a, a major breakthrough They got released from prison. But right before that, at the beginning of the chapter, it says Herod beheaded, I think it was Thomas, but I'm going to, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. He beheaded one of the, one of the disciples right before that amazing verse of breakthrough. And so you see a dichotomy between the two where there's not a, 100% protection. You look at all the apostles and, and disciples in the Bible alone that got martyred for their faith. But through that, like you're saying, there was tremendous power and breakthrough that God showed up in a miraculous way. And I think the same is today where it, you know his plans and purposes are way beyond what we can understand with our human wisdom. So, Joel, I want to ask you a more lighthearted question. So, how was it filming the fire scenes? Those were, those were pretty powerful and amazing Is there any insight you can give someone like me who doesn't even know how you would go about (laughs) starting that?
3: (laughs) that, I'll just jump in before Joel goes, and I'm going to say that night was awesome. Go ahead, Joel. But it was the most fun I've ever had on set.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was a a great night of uh, filming. And, yeah, I mean, we had the entire Northville Fire Department there. Most of the guys that you see, I mean, obviously you see our lead, Nick. And uh, myself playing the best friend, all in gear, but pretty much all of the other guys that you see in the background with small amounts of lines and whatnot were actual Northville firefighters. Um, you know, we, we pulled in all of the trucks and the cars and we made a full background line behind us with the, the lights going off. We were blowing smoke through the entire um, set the whole time. We set real fires off in front of us, obviously contained, and we knew where where they were. And, and again, we were with the fire department so they could put out fires. But it was uh, it was pretty real. It was pretty hot. And boy, we really when you're doing an independent movie, you've got to move, 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 move. So myself and my DP set up every single scene ahead of time. And once we started rolling that camera. We knew, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we just kept plowing through it all night. And we were, we were safe, but we were moving fast and it was a lot of fun.
0: Scene was so powerful with him coming down the stairs in slow motion with, with the girl in his hands and, and just the way it was filmed, you know, not knowing much about film. Like I, I could tell that was a really powerful scene the way, you know, kind of just the slow motion of it and, and coming through with the fire all around him. And I was like, wow, that was cool. That must've been cool to film.
2: The the entire night that we put together the sequence of fire um, the fire scene was uh, was a lot of fun filming.
3: And can we we say this, Joel? We had there's one very quick shot uh, while we're filming, and we had one of the guys who was he's a real volunteer fireman, so he was in all his gear, but he was working as a grip, and he has the smoke machine, and he walks right through the scene. But you know, he's not the center of the scene because he's pumping out the smoke it comes by real quick you would never notice it but of course now if the audience if you're looking for it you may catch it it's-
2: i i have seen the movie i don't know how many times and finally at one point somebody just randomly hit pause and i said wait a second is this guy am i looking at this guy blowing smoke through the uh, through the scene and and my uh, my editor said yeah and, he's, and he said, do we need to cut this scene? This And I I said, play it again from the beginning. And then I watched it again. I'm like, I didn't see the guy that time. It's so fast. But, you know, I've read all kinds of things like that, that there's a car that drives by in the back of uh, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or whatever it is. That happens in movies. Yeah. So you, now, if somebody wants to go and watch our movie ten times, somewhere <laughs> in that first fire scene, you see a crew member blowing smoke through the uh, through the scene.
3: But but I think he's in his fire gear and he's holding equipment, and you just think he's supposed <laughs> right. to be.
0: but right, he's he's actually pumping smoke all around. Uh huh.
2: <laughs>
0: like, is this guy starting the fire? What's going on here? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I've been a, I grew up a little bit of a pyro. I would always love to burn things and see how they would burn. You know, never destructive, but. I've always been fascinated with fire. So I thought that was a really cool scene.
3: Can somebody be a little bit of a pyro?
0: I think you or, can. Or are you full-on pyro? You know, it's a good question. Well, if you say full-on, then it sounds like you'd like to burn down buildings. So Yeah, no, that's right. Well,
3: I, But I did the same thing. Me and my friend would go out in the woods and we would light fires all the yeah. time when we were like in our teenagers. And we'd come home and my parents would be like, what's that smell? Do you smell <laughs> something burning. And so we learned we would like cover ourselves in groups spray after
0: we came back. (laughs) That's hilarious. Cool. So as we wrap this up, is there any other projects you guys would like to talk about and kind of share that you're working on?
2: Absolutely. We um, as a team, myself, Greg and Melissa generation courage are making a movie next called Godspeed. And it is about a Christian race car driver with a very positive message for everyone. uh, For, For my part of the team, Greg, Greg is taking on the theology as uh, as he always does, and I'm I'm very happy with where that is going with Greg. But for my part, I look at a lot of Christian movies and I say, okay, it had a great message, but it wasn't that good of a film. You know, it didn't have like the fire scene that you were just complimenting us on. I really want to see a movie that uh, looks as close to Days of Thunder as we possibly can. And I would love it if anybody listening wanted to get involved and help us because the truth of the matter is we can't do these movies without your help. So our website is generationcourage.net. And if you go to our website, you will see an area where if you wanted to, you can make a donation, another area where there's opportunities to even, and play one of the background race car drivers or one of the smaller parts of a race car driver. And then because it is a racing movie, these cars are covered with advertisements. That's the only way that they look right. So if you happen to own a company or know somebody that owns a company that would be interested in sponsoring a race car, we have all the information online on how you contact us about doing that as well. So, hey, if the uh, owner of Chick-fil-A Hobby Lobby or anybody else happens to be listening, we would love to partner with. GenerationCourage.net.
0: Awesome. Put that in the show notes. Anything else you guys would like to say that we haven't covered? Greg? I just want to say thank
3: you. I think this is a great interview. You're a great interviewer. You have a, a great demeanor uh, that allows people to sort of, to, to pull out deeper answers. So
0: I appreciate that a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on both of you. And the movie is faith under fire. And I had the pleasure of talking with Joel and Greg today. Thank you guys so much.
2: Thank you, Tim. Thank you.
0: Well, that's going to do for today. Make sure you check out the movie that we talked about, Faith Under Fire. Thanks so much for being here. And I want to let you know uh, about my discernment devotional. Again, EyesOnJesusDevotional.com. Get your free 14-day copy right now. And for next week, I'm talking to Pastor Kenny Luck. He's the men's pastor at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California. And he is the founder and president of Everyman Ministries. They also have a podcast channel as well, Everyman Ministries. He's a great pastor. I love listening to him, hear him speak. And I definitely excited to have him on the show next week. So until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus.
1: Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad@outlook.com. At Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.